in this parable series. I hope you guys have enjoyed this. Uh, we've had a, a few different people come in. Uh, we'll have some other pastors coming in over the next few weeks from other campuses. And uh, just to, to share on this series. This morning, I'm going to be talking about a parable. It's not actually a really long parable. It's not a long story. Uh, and, and some people wouldn't even necessarily classify it within the parables. But it certainly is because it's drawing this analogy. And I'm going to talk about salt and light today. Uh, let me ask you this question. How many of you, you know somebody, and you don't have to raise your hand, but just be thinking about it. How many of you have a family member or friend or neighbor or somebody like that that you just know, man, they are a long ways away from God. Like they, they need Jesus desperately. They're seriously jacked up. Like you just like when you think about it, it's like, man, if anybody needs Jesus, it's this person. I, I know one of the things that, that we get a lot of times when people turn in connect cards and asking us for pr- to pr- pray for different people or different situations, one of the requests we get a lot is people just saying, hey, can you be praying for this family member, uh, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, uh, different people that, that they just know are away from God. But, but then the question is like, how do we reach them? Prayer certainly works, but what is our role within reaching them because we certainly have to have Jesus helping us right Jesus has to be in there because he's the only one that brings salvation he's the one that paid the price you certainly have to have partnership with the Holy Spirit because he's the only one that can bring conviction it's not our job to try to convict someone it's the Holy Spirit's job to do that we certainly need all that and I'm praying look and I'm believing that there's going to be a day in our church where the presence of God is so strong in our services that we will even know what to do next like we're going to be worshiping and then it's going to be time for me to speak and I'm just going to get up and be like I don't I don't know what to do because because maybe the glory of God shows up in, in such a way that it doesn't kill us all but but it but just strong enough where God we just sense and, and I think when that type of thing happens look man I, I don't even know that there will have to be a word spoken and people will receive Jesus uh, I know that this is happening in, around the world in different pockets. And, and, and actually, there's, there's hundreds of Muslims coming to Jesus through visions. Where the, the presence of God just shows up while they're sleeping. Without anyone even witnessing to them. And they're encountering Jesus. And I, and I believe that. But I also know this. If we're going to effectively be able to reach the lost people that are in our lives or in the world that we live in, this book has to be the ultimate authority in our lives. You have to settle that. You have to settle that this is the ultimate standard. This is the guidebook. This is still relevant. It was when it was written before the foundation of the earth. It always has been, always will be the last word and authority on all things. And if you don't establish that, because here's the reason why, because you can be real spirit-led and not have any word, and you're going to be very, very susceptible. Because there's a few other things that can be driving you in your life, like your feelings. All right? Now, God gave us feelings. God has feelings, right? But he never intended for us to be led by our feelings, because you need to know this. Your feelings will lie to you. Okay, and here's the deal, like you can feel like you've got pretty good control over your feelings, but I've seen some of you out at the little league fields. (laughs) 
Like, I've been there. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a calm person. I got this. And then I start, like, cheering my kids on playing soccer. Or those refs that they have out on the soccer fields. Like, they're trying to make a call. And I'm like, that ain't right. Or I just had a full meal. Like, I'm full and I'm satisfied. When my mind says no, but my body and my emotion says, yes, you can still have dark chocolate raspberry ice cream on Razzleberry pie. <laughs> you need this. Your feelings will lie to you. You're going to have to have something that can guide your feelings. Some of you are like, well, I don't go with my feelings. I go with my intellect. Like you're super smart. Look, I've got a degree. I, I studied. I got educated, you know. I learned some stuff about ministry and the word, and I've also set my hair on fire twice. <laughs> I've also put Dawn dish soap in the dishwasher. I was like, dish soap, dishwasher. Some might say, well, just go with, go with what feels natural. Go with what feels natural. You know arsenic is natural? <laughs> There's a lot of things that are natural that will kill you. Something has to guide us. The word of God can help us. So one day Jesus is teaching this, the most popular sermon in history. And there's a bunch of people listening. They're up on this hillside. And it's just talking about the blessings of God and how God's blessings, it's, it's with people in, in difficult seasons. And he's talking about just the happiness and the joy that there can be in the presence of God. And this crowd, they're just kind of like blue collar people. You know, they're not, mostly uneducated, but they're just there and they're leaning in and they're listening to what Jesus has to say. And then as he has their attention, then he says something that just kind of seems off. A little bit ridiculous, like this outrageous statement. He says in Matthew 5.13, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. <laughs> and I imagine this, the crowd's like, I do what? <laughs> like, <laughs> we're blessed and God is good and salt. But he's, he's getting to a point. And then he says, you're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and get, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So what does he mean by salt? Well, what is, think about what salt does. Well, salt adds flavor, Right? Makes something taste good. Also makes you thirsty. Like how many of y'all would say you have a salt addiction? Like I like some salt. Okay. And y'all may think I'm weird, but one of my favorite snacks, Lay's potato chips, which already has a decent amount of salt in it, and I dip it in mustard. I'll, and I will eat a whole bag of Lay's potato chips dipped in mustard. Because the salt, I just like it. I just, and, and I like being thirsty. I really like being thirsty. 
Because then I get to quench my thirst. And this is what God is talking about. If you're good salt, man, people are going to be thirsty when they're around you. Like, oh, I want some more. What is he? What, what's, what do they have that I don't have? I want that. I want that. That you should flavor the world around you. The world around you should taste better because of the Spirit of God working in you and through you, and because of the love of Jesus that you've tasted and seen, and so it, you can't help but try to give it away to people. It's also a preservative, right? So Jesus is saying, look, I want you to be salt, which also means that God has called us. It doesn't say you could be if you want to be. It says you are the salt of the world. Why is that important? Because without us being the representation of Christ around us, our world rots. Without the church and the body of Christ, without Christ's followers being who he created us to be, the world around us gets putrid. It stinks. It rots. And that's why it's so important that we don't just clump up in a pile of salt on Sunday morning, but that we spread out Monday through Saturday. Because there's a world that is around us. If you can't see it, then you're hiding under a rock. There's a world around us that needs to be preserved. That needs, because it's, it's in a bad spot. So this is who God's calling us to be. Jesus calls us salt and light. Because there's moral decay. And Jesus is counting on us to, to stop it. He also says that we're light. So salt, look, the, the great thing about this is, is the positives of what salt and light, but, but there's also some negatives because the problem is salt and light can also do a couple other things. Like salt can be positive in, in that it enhances taste and it preserves and all that. Um, it can also be really negative if you're pouring it into an open wound. And uh, when we were in Israel, we went to the Dead Sea. And there's, so, there's such a high salt concentrate in the Dead Sea that you can walk out in it. You can stand straight up with your feet not touching the ground and just bob around. It's pretty cool. Unless you have little scratches. And, and somebody told me about this, like, hey, you don't want to get in there with any open ones. Like, well, I don't really. I mean, I've got this, like, little scratch on my ankle. And I got in there, and I was like, ha. Huh. Like, that was the most spiritual experience I had the whole time I was in Israel, <laughs> was calling on Jesus because of the cut that was on my ankle. It wasn't that bad. But it did remind me, it's like, wow, salt can be really great unless you're trying to force it into a situation where there's still a wound, where there's hurt, where there isn't healing. I don't know if any of this is resonating in you. Light can be really positive, right? Unless it's someone that clearly doesn't know how to use their high beams. <laughs> you know? 
I mean, it's, it's horrible when you're coming down a straight road, right? And you can see this car coming from miles away. And they just keep coming and they don't turn off their brights. So you try to like let them know, but I don't, they don't know where to turn them off. So you just have to let your cornea be carterized as you're driving past them. They, or you're driving down the road and they're behind you with their brights on. You know, you can flip the little thing on your mirror and that'll help some, but, but it's still lighting up your whole car and light can be glaring, blinding. So clearly, salt and light are meant to be a positive thing, but I think Jesus is also saying, you've got to use this in the right way. I love how light can change the mood in a room. Like it lights your steps, but it can also blind someone and irritate them. What I find is, is that inadvertently there's been some Christians that have used salt in a way that burns and stings. Inadvertently there's been some Christians that have tried to use light that has actually turned people off blinded people and caused people to look away instead of look towards the light. I find that there's really two reasons that people are lost in the world. Either they haven't been exposed to Christians or they've been exposed to Christians. And I think there's really kind of two Christians I think that, that the wrong exposure could turn people off and that's First of all, the shallow Christian. And I don't mean a new believer, okay? But what I mean by a shallow Christian, like these are the people who the, the, their understanding of their faith is so shallow that they can only talk about their faith through like simple cliches that you find in like Christmas cards. Like this is the only way they can really like, like when God closes a door, just be looking for a window. Or God won't put more on you than you can handle. And I notice that the kiddie pool Christians, as I sometimes call them, they especially like to come out in tragedy. And this is when it can be the most damaging. Because tragedy happens, and, and because their walk with the Lord and their leading of the Holy Spirit and their understanding of the word is so shallow, like, I don't think that they mean well. But like, People are losing everything because of a flood. And they're like, well, you just got to praise them in the storm. Jesus, take the wheel. And, and in the middle of doing that, it's like the, the people that they're talking to, it's like, what? This doesn't help me at all. This doesn't minister to me. This doesn't help me feel better. Like one of the things that I've learned in, in watching some of the stuff that's been happening around our state with the flood is sometimes people just need you to shut up and just be there. Just show up and just be there. Don't, you, they don't need you to say something. They need you to do something. And I think that it's okay to just be quiet. To just be quiet, I think it's okay to sometimes say, like, man, this sucks. 
Sometimes I hate this world that we live in. This, I'm so sorry. And I don't know what else to say. And honestly, I think that that can be better salt and better light. You know, there's, there's a lot of lamenting that happens in the Bible. Meaning like people, they're just in tough times and tough experiences and Psalms, and Proverbs. There's lamenting that happens. The book of Job. Like I never, like when I, when I, because I've dealt with a religious spirit before. And, and I've dealt with being critical. And, and, and but then I, I, I'm looking at Joel, Job and he's got these friends. Like they, they show up and they're like trying to like, well, Job, clearly you did something wrong. You must have messed up, you know? Well, Job, the Lord would never give you more than you can handle. And so obviously you, does, you must have sinned and that's why you're going through all this. And Job, Job needs his friends to show up and have a barbecue and just hang out with him. That's what Job needs. So sometimes the, the shallow Christian, man, that, that can turn people off. Also the judgmental Christian. Uh, but I added to the title of this point so you can write this in. The judgmental Christians that get on everyone's nerves, that have no real friends, and that I personally can't stand. So if you can just, you can just. <laughs> it's kind of a long point. I tried to make an acronym. Couldn't really put it together. So that's what it is. What religion does is it looks at your mistakes, it looks at your past, and it says, this is what you've done, and this is where you went wrong, and so this is who you are. Oh, man, that happened to me. I've told the story about when I got in a fight in seventh grade and got my nose broken and everything, and then I went to my youth group, and my youth group, like, like the youth group leader in front of the whole youth group, like pointed me out, right, and said that I set a bad example as a Christ follower because I should have turned the other cheek. And I was like, you know... I turned both cheeks, he punched them both, they're both bruised, my nose is broken. Like, I, the maximum amount of cheekage has been turned. It's, I'll let him have it all. But one of the things he says, he said, I remember it vividly, he's like, you've let down this church and the body of Christ. I'm like, like the whole body of Christ? Like, all the way to India? Like, this is, I had no idea. <laughs> that me defending myself in a fight was going to do so much damage. Because when you're in that mindset, man, you're, you become very issue-driven. These are smug, self-righteous people. They're Christians who paint themselves as being much better than they actually are and paint everybody else as being much worse than they actually are. And so that, that, that's a major conflict. One of the things that we talk about in our Connect class, I, I'm sure I've shared it before in a service. We talk about the difference between essential and non-essential beliefs. And there's, there's two primary lines of theology that have actually divided the church since the church's inception, or at least a couple hundred years after the church started, where, and, and I won't get into it too deeply, but I'll make it just as clear and concise as I can. There's two lines of thinking, uh, being a Christian, theologically, that people like to try to control. 
and I'm not saying that if you came from a church to believe one way or the other, that this makes you right or wrong. I'm just saying that these are the two primary lines of thinking. The one line of thinking is you can be saved and lose your salvation. That you can be saved, but because of the way that you act, you can lose your salvation. The other line of thinking is once you're saved, you're always saved, no matter what. But if you don't act saved, then you're not really saved. Okay, so those are the two primary lines of thinking. And so the way we talk about this, we say, let's just say there's a guy named Joe. And if your name's Joe, please don't be offended. I'm not talking about you. But a guy named Joe, Joe gets saved. He's like at a church camp or he goes to a Christian rock and roll concert like I did and got saved. And, and he has this like, it seems to be a very genuine experience and encounter with God. And he's on fire right away and he, he wants to read his word and, and he wants to be involved and serving and different things like that. But, but the thing that I add to it is this, but he doesn't get plugged into community. He doesn't really start building relationships within the body of Christ. And before you know it, you can tell that Joe's not doing good because Joe is, he's off partying. His Instagram account has pictures of him hanging out around rough crowds and, and drinking a lot and partying a lot. Okay, well, when it comes to these two primary lines of thinking, one line of thinking would say, well, clearly Joe was never actually saved because Joe, if Joe was actually saved, he wouldn't be acting the way that he's acting. And the other line of thinking would say, no, Joe was saved, but if Joe keeps acting the way that Joe is acting, then he's going to lose his salvation. Our stance as a church is, let's call Joe. It's not our job to judge the motives of Joe's heart. It's our job to love Joe back into the body of Christ. We're not trying to solve whether or not he deserves to go to heaven. We're just trying to love a son of the king the way that we were loved. But that isn't salt if you judge people. That's not the salt that builds up. Salt is not supposed to be expelling or evicting. But sometimes salt is. It's standing in front of a landmine that somebody's walking towards and saying, hey, let's go get some coffee and let's talk and let's hang out because I'm really concerned if you keep going the way that you're going, you're gonna get blown up. But I'm gonna focus on the person and not try to judge the issues. Jesus had this way about him. Jesus didn't endure sinners. Jesus enjoyed sinners. Well, I know some of that, some of you are like, hold on, hold on now, what you talking about? But Jesus didn't like, oh, oh, sinners, okay, I gotta deal with them, but just kinda keep them at an arm's length. No, he loved them. And he never compromised his holiness. He embraced them, he just never compromised his character. He never compromised truth but he had the full balance of truth and grace. He gave grace and truth. He's like, here's mercy. Here's truth. Go sin no more. Go and sin no more. So how do we get this right? How do we get this right? I want to give you just a few ways that we can be salt and light. First of all, be excellent on your job. Be excellent on your job. Like, take your, 
work seriously. Strive to be excellent. And if you'll do that, it'll open up a door for you to minister to people, I promise. If you're sloppy and late with a bad attitude and you gossip and you're checking Facebook 40 times a day and playing Candy Crush, you're going to hurt your witness. You will shut down opportunities to be used by God. Because shoddy work is it's a bad testimony for God. Quality work, man, is a great testimony for God. And I believe that if you'll do it with his heart, people will know that you're a believer. The scary thing is you don't do it right. and People know you come to this church. It's going to be really confusing for them. Or go to any church. I think work can take on a new meaning when you see yourself as a representative of Christ. Like you wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus needs a representative at my place of work. And that's why I have this job. And so, God, today I commit myself to you to be used at my place of work. Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Psalm 90.17, May the favor of the Lord, our God, rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. This is saying, like, God, you're the one who's given me this job. Establish the work, establish the work of our hands. In other words, there's this partnership between your sovereignty, God, and my sweat and hard work. And so I'm going to be faithful with it. It says in Proverbs 14, 23, all work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So you've got to have a work ethic. Be early. Have a good attitude. Don't act like the world owes you something. <laughs> work with all of your energy. Smile way too much. Like, I'm not saying be insincere, but why aren't you smiling? Why aren't you smiling? I'm sorry, but I, <laughs> I could tell you of a lot of other places that aren't nearly as blessed as we are. Think about this. 90% of us in here have a house for our car. Majority of us in here use drinking water to make our grass green. We have so much to be thankful for. You could have the worst boss and the most horrific job on the planet, and you are still blessed and highly favored by the Lord. You've got a lot to smile about. There's two ways that I think that we can represent Jesus at work, by what we do and by what we say. And you may ask, well, what comes first? Well, first, you've got to do. First, you've got to do. You've got to walk the walk before you talk the talk. So you, please, you can't and please don't talk about Jesus if you have poor quality of work. That, that doesn't help the body of Christ. That doesn't help his kingdom. 
But you can't also just say, well, I'll just let the way that I live do all the talking. Okay, well, that's essentially you saying, I live such a holy life that all someone has to do is just look at me and they will fall at the feet of Jesus. I could be walking down the street and all of a sudden someone just sees me and says, I just need Jesus. Look at that person. That's ridiculous. At one point or another, you want to give an account for what you believe. And this isn't that complicated because everyone has a story, which means everyone has a testimony because of Jesus. And all you got to do is share what Jesus has done for you. Do and say. God wants audiovisual Christians. He wants people that people can see, first of all, but then also hear the hope that they have. Also love people despite their issues. Love people despite their issues. So one of the most famous verses, all of us could quote this. A lot of us, if we were in Awanas, we actually memorized it in this version. New King James Version, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, but the next verse is so powerful too. And a religious spirit will miss this next verse sometimes. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The message translation, verse 17 says, God didn't go into all the trouble of sending his son merely to point out an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. You have to know this as a believer. Jesus was not issue-driven. He was people-driven. And there's a big difference because religion becomes very religious when it is issue-driven. He would treat everyone with dignity. He, he, he loved people. So if the issue was adultery, Jesus wouldn't go to the issue. He would say, I'm going to deal with the person. She needs to know that she can be healed, set free, and forgiven. If the issue was someone was a crook, he said, I'm going to go hang out with Zacchaeus at his house so that he can know that he's loved, so that he can know that he can be accepted. accepted. It could be adultery or substance addiction or porn addiction or, or marriage problems or an alternative lifestyle People having sex outside of marriage. There's a lot of stuff that isn't God and isn't biblical, but we can't be driven by the stuff. We have to be driven by a love for the people because people don't know what you, don't care about what you know until they know how much you care. You gotta, you gotta be driven by love for the person first. We're not talking about issues. We're talking about people. And they're people created in the image of Christ. And God literally said they're to die for. (laughs) 
I think that, that, that I'm going to come back to this. This isn't in my notes, but I was just thinking about this this morning. I think the biggest issue that we have sometimes is we forget that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. Jesus died for people that he knew would never accept what he did for them. He did that. And so what does he call us to do as his representative? Be willing to lay our lives down for people that would never accept what we do. Be willing to love people. Also by lighting up the people in your world. Philippians 2.14. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering or second guessing allowed. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air in a squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. Carry the light, giving message into the night so I have good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. You'll be living proof that I didn't go through all this work for nothing. Have you ever met someone that when they walk into a place, they just light the room up? It just changes the environment. Like, they just come and they smile and they laugh and they have words of encouragement and it just changed the atmosphere of the room. This last week we were down in Baton Rouge at Pastor Rick, our, our lead pastor, his church, the church he came out of, the Stockstills, amazing family. And we went to the conference of their church and Larry Stockstill, he's, they actually, he celebrated 50 years in ministry while we were there. And, but this family, we were, we, we were there with some friends that know a lot of the family down there. And, and so we where we were sitting was where the family, like when they would come in and they would sit in that area. And it was crazy because they don't really know me or Cody. They didn't know us at all. But when they came in, they would just go through and just smile and shake people's hands and get, like, like give us hugs. Like, you don't know me. Okay. <laughs> just made us feel so welcome. And just They were light. They were light. Light illuminates. It exposes. It draws people towards something. Right? That's why we light up signs. We light up signs so people will be drawn to it. That's why the brightest lights on the planet are at the liquor stores by the first exit. (laughs) Like, literally have to put sunglasses on when you drive by them at night because, and they work. Clearly, by the parking lot, they work. (laughs) Because light draws people in. My kids, they all sleep with a light on of some kind, most of them some sort of nightlight, because it's just, it's interesting, just a little bit of light, it like changes everything. It changes the amount of peace. It changes the sleep that they can have. Like fear goes away. So in their room, like for them to go to sleep, there's a few things that have to happen. The the closet door has to be completely closed. Like if it's cracked open, no, no. It's got to be all the way closed because somehow when the door is closed, it creates this force field that a T-Rex cannot get through. (laughs) Right? So that has to be. And then then you can't have any limbs hanging off the bed because if limbs are hanging off the bed, there's, there's a chance something could get them. And they need a little light. They just need a little light. 
Because a little light can go a long ways. Light brings direction. It brings peace. It brings warmth. It changes the mood. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. So how do you light up your world? By sharing your story. By sharing what God has done inside of you. We actually have a lot of testimonies. You have a lot of testimonies. Failures, successes. And God has shown himself good. He's been gracious. He's helped you through a lot of those. We also need the Holy Spirit to help us. The great thing is Jesus promised that he would give us his spirit. In Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is who God has called us to be, salt and light. You cannot be this effectively if you're not walking in the grace of love and grace and love that God has for you. So maybe you're in one of those categories this morning, you know, like the shallow Christian. Maybe you're in that place. And I, and I am not saying this from a place of judgment. I, I'm saying this from a place of love. It's just saying, hey, you know, there's more. There's more. There's more. The, the Lord wants to reveal himself to you through his word, through connection and community with other people. There's something that you have to offer that the world, the world needs and the Lord wants to use. It may take you giving up some other things, though. It may t- take you giving up some other things to go deeper. You may have to be willing to surrender some things. Or maybe you're the judgmental. That was the struggle that I had for a long time, just very critical and judgmental. The problem is you can be so right, you're wrong. And I don't know where you're at with that, but I, I know this. If you're, if you're deep into either one of those categories, it's probably just primarily because you don't know how much Jesus loves you. When we were singing that song earlier. Look, I've been a believer for a long time. When we're singing that song, that old hymn, Jesus paid it all. Man, how powerful is that? Because even myself, I like, I, I, I kind of categorize things, you know, like, oh, thank you for your grace over this area of my life, Jesus, but I don't know if you got it over this area. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today, maybe you don't realize just how much Jesus loves you. You don't realize the sacrifice that he made wasn't for everyone else around you, it's for you. And and the truth is he died for you knowing every struggle you were ever gonna have. And like I already mentioned, he died for people that he knew would never accept him. But maybe you haven't accepted him. Maybe you haven't accepted his love and his grace and his forgiveness. I want to pray for you first this morning. 
If you're here today and you just know you're away from God, you're away from him. You feel no connection to him. You, you don't sense his presence. You don't even know what that means. But you just know you're away from him. I want you to know he loves you and he's ready to have a relationship with you. The word says that if you can believe in your heart and if you're willing to confess with your mouth that you need him, then he'll show up. He'll forgive you. You just have to be willing to admit it. And maybe you've done that before, but you still feel distant from him. Feel cold in relationship with him. If you're either one of those people, I just want to give you a chance to admit that that's who you are. And I'm not going to embarrass you. This is not about, you know, at different points we have altar calls. And I ask people to be a little more bold. All I'm asking you to do is just to be bold enough to say, yeah, that's me. But just between me and you and, and God. So if that is you. You're away from God. You know that you don't have relationship with him and you want relationship with him. I just want you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down, but you just say, I need a relationship with God. I know I don't have it. I'm distant from him. I need to come back to him today. Got it. Thank you. Got it. I respect that so much. Thanks for being honest. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I'm away from him. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. I believe when you raise your hand, just that simple act of obedience, it doesn't get you saved, but man, I, I just know the people that are raising their hand right now, they're experiencing the grace of God right there in their chair. God is showing up. Is there anyone else? So thankful for those few hands. God loves you. Everything that we've done this morning has been with you in mind. But let's just talk to God if you're away from him. You don't have to say this super loud, but just in your own heart. Maybe loud enough for your own ears to hear it. Just say, God, here's my life. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I can't save myself. And I know that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And right now I ask for your forgiveness. And, and I believe that you, you rose from the grave. You, you defeated sin, you defeated death. And I thank you that, that you're preparing a place for me, that I have the hope of heaven. Thank you for that. But, but I also wanna know what your purpose is for me now. So I thank you that you're faithful to show me. Would you speak to me, God? Would you show yourself to me in your word? Would you, would you lead me by your Holy Spirit in understanding my purpose? And would you, would you help me to, to be connected with other believers that believe what I now believe? And I want to live my life for you. Be my Lord and Savior for the rest of my life. I thank you for that. If you're here this morning and you would just be willing to admit that, that you know that you haven't always been a good representation of Christ. 
Maybe it's the wrong use of that salt and light. Or I don't know what it is, but you, you just know, like, hey, I, I, I know I've messed this up, but I want to get it right. And I just, I need God's help. The Word says that it's in your weakness that His power is made perfect. So if you're here and, and you have a desire in your heart to be salt and light, to be used by God, but you know you've missed it, nobody look around, if that's you, let's just... Let's just go to God. Just raise your hand right now. I just know I haven't had a very good witness. I know I've been judgmental. I've been legalistic. I've just, I've been that shallow Christian and I don't want to be that anymore. Father God, for every person that's raising their hand right now, we just come before you in your grace and your mercy and we ask that the character of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit would saturate every part of who we are. The truth is we don't have anything good to give it's only because of you in us that we have anything. So God, anything that's off, that judgmental spirit, Lord, or just having things that have taken priority over relationship with you, God, we surrender those things. We confess those things to you as, as missing the mark. And we ask, Father, God, that would you help us? Would you be light in us? Would you be the salt in our lives? so that we can demonstrate that to the people around us. So I thank you so much, God, for the humility and the willingness to confess this of every person that's raising their hand. Thank you, God. I believe in Jesus' name that even starting today, but especially as they go into their work week, they're gonna sense that there's something different. They're gonna go to their job with a purpose of understanding that it is an opportunity to represent you. And they're gonna be salt and light in that place. I thank you for it. Put your hands down. Father God, help us to be a church that is that, that uses the salt and light that you've placed in our lives, that the revelation of your grace and your love and your mercy for us would be obvious by how we first live, but also how we share our testimony, how we love other people. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think we have four people raise their hand to give their life to Jesus. Come on, let's give God praise for that. We love you. Welcome to the family.